0: Thank you so much.
1: So if you have an estrogen that's made it through phase one and it's made it through phase two, and now it's in your intestines, but then it gets reabsorbed, that could be a big part of your estrogen problem. If you're struggling with a lot of estrogen issues, it could be right in the gut because this enzyme is essentially acting like scissors and just cutting off that bow and opening up that lid. So now what we want to do is we want to do all the things we know for for gut health, for microbiome health, for reducing inflammation and and just improving the microbiome and, you know, getting rid of any ride alongs like, you know, parasites and candida and whatnot. Avoiding foods we know are inflammatory to us. I know there's a lot of, you know, I guess controversy around, you know, people talk about food intolerances or food allergies, food sensitivities. And I'm like, all right, but you know, you know, when you eat a food and you shouldn't.
0: Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hey, Betty! welcome back. This week, coming up on the podcast, we have Dr. Carrie Jones, medical advisor at Precision Analytical, makers of the Dutch test. And today we are talking all about women's hormones. Oh, this is going to be a geeky magic carpet ride for you. Now, just before we get into that, I wanted to take a moment to read Sid Barbie from the United States, her review on the podcast this past week. She says, I have learned so much. There are so many things I've learned about women's bodies and cycles. I had no idea about most of it. We don't learn it in school and our female role models never talk about the things I've learned. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I personally just love your username because Barbie used to be a nickname when I was competing in figure. The uh, people at the gym used to call me Warrior Barbie 3000. So that was my nickname. So I appreciate the Barbie uh, in your name. And also just thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, write the review. Let me know how it is impacting you. The more reviews and ratings that we get, whether it's on iTunes or there's a rating on Spotify or Google, the more people will find us and the more we can amalgamate and build up our Betty army. So thank you so much, Sid, Barbie. Really, really appreciate that. So let's talk about our podcast today. So Dr. Carrie Jones, is somebody who I love and admire. She is a colleague. She is a naturopathic physician. She is also board certified in naturopathic endocrinology with a master's in public health. And she has had over 15 years in the field of functional and integrative medicine. She is currently, as I mentioned, the medical director at Precision Analytical, makers of the Dutch test. So what did we talk about today? We talked about all things lady bits and lady hormones. So we talked about what hormones actually are and how we test for them, the different ways that we can test for them, and the difference between taking a blood draw versus a salivary collection sample versus a urine, and what the different information is conferred there. And then we got into some of the different pathways in our cycle. So we talked about estrogen and estrogen metabolism and those metabolites. We talked about androgens, uh, commonly known as testosterone. So we talked about testosterone, DHT or super uh, testosterone as I like to call it and the pathways there and some of the things that can go awry. We also got into genetic SNPs or genetic uh, mutations. If you have a fast or a slow gene, one of them we discussed was uh, COMT or COMT. Uh, We talked about magnesium, the differences in magnesium, which one should you take? All of the good things. I threw out a couple of clinical scenarios at her. And of course, she knocked them out of the park, as Dr. Jones does. So I hope that you enjoy this geeky magic carpet ride on women's hormones with Dr. Carrie Jones. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked, like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines, chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness, It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such welcome to the podcast for what I hope is going to be a full conversation this time. Last time we were chatting, uh, the internet gods were not on our side. So I'm so mm-hmm. happy that you were able to come back and redo this.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much because we were in the middle of such a great conversation. And then I was at, I was at a cabin in the mountains and I should have known better. And all of a sudden I was gone. And <laughs> <So laughs> I was like, nope, not today. Sorry.
0: It's <laughs> funny. It was like that awkward pause where you're like, okay, she's going to come back. She's going to come back. Yeah. I'm like, nope, she's gone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I felt that too. Yeah. I was literally running around the cabin like, can I get any
0: wifi? Anywhere? No. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. We're going to do a good, t- we're going to do it proper today. Um, I want, so what I was saying last time, and I'll say it again here is I wanted you on the podcast because you are such a powerhouse when it comes to hormones, to the metabolism of hormones, and to, I mean, this is complicated stuff and you have a, a, such a gift in the way that you describe certain pathways, the way that you make it really easily understandable for whether it's a lay person or a practitioner who (laughs) is wanting to learn from you. So I think that this is going to be a really robust conversation. And we're going to talk about... I was saying in the pre-chat, like I want to talk about estrogens. I want to talk about testosterone. And then we'll kind of see how far we can get because even just those two topics are are quite um, meaty uh, in and of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... I always like origin stories, like I was saying. And for many women or just many many practitioners who get into hormones, myself included, like my period was my nemesis. And no Mm. matter how punitive I was and controlling I was, I was just not as strong and as powerful as my hormones were. So I would (laughs) (laughs) love, as much as I'd like to think I could like overcome them, you know, they they showed me every single month who was the boss. Mm. So I would love for my listeners to understand a little bit more about you, what led you into, uh, your work with the field of hormones and what you are, what you do with it uh, currently, what you're doing. Absolutely.
1: So I would plan to go to conventional medical school. I was in my undergrad, I was, um, a biology pre-med major and I was working for two different hospitals and one hospital was in the pediatric wing and the other hospital was in their community outreach wing. And, um, I loved the community outreach part. I was working with these two nurses and that was my favorite thing was going out and educating and in the pediatric wing, it was very cold and stark and sterile and not the route I wanted to go. And the more I was watching, um, doctors following doctors as part of my, you know, pre-med program, I thought this is not the medicine I want to go into. I'd always known I wanted to be in women's health. I'd always known. I, I thought maybe OBGYN. I did think pediatrics for a little while, which is why I was in the pediatric wing. And I thought, nope, this isn't it. I can't do conventional medicine. So I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon. I was in Ohio at the time. I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I found the naturopathic college. Um, or it found me, depending on how you look at it. And that's, and I worked there for two years and then I was thought, this is where I was supposed to go to school. And I did my, um, most of my mentoring was in women's health and hormones. And, uh, my residency was in women's health and hormones. And then subsequently when I got into practice, that's what I was really attracted to. I just continued to love gynecology, women's health, you know, uh, women's endocrinology, and hormones. And I find it, really fascinating. Not, not, I mean, growing up, my periods were not great. I mean, I can remember being on a trip in the, um, the Virgin islands and I couldn't go on the catamaran trip because my pain was so bad and I was throwing up and I had a headache with my family. And so, but what really got me into hormones was the amount of women who just didn't know hormones, like the amount of women who I would learn all this stuff. And I would tell my non Clinical friends, and they would go, "Oh, I had no idea. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that how that works?" I was like, "God, we have been failed as women." So yeah, yeah, that's it's really like hands are over what drives our ears. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like during class, it's like, "La la la la." Don't talk about yeah. it. Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and even as we, I mean, I have women, and I'm sure you do too, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, that write me and go, "I am a full-grown adult woman who've had children. I have grandchildren. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how my body worked." And I'm like, a lot of women don't. We just yeah don't get that education. And that's what I'm here for.
0: It's so interesting to hear you say, you know, the naturopathic college or the naturopathic profession shows me because that's a a similar, (laughs) I have a very similar feeling because I I have a very similar parallel with you in that I wanted to maybe go into pediatrics. I was thinking Mm -hmm. maybe a pediatrician, something along those lines. And then was volunteering at a hospital, very similar to you in the NICU. Mm -hmm. And after a week, I was like, screw this. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not, I do not have the the backbone for this, and literally, and then went to and figuratively maybe, and then went to start uh, volunteering at chiropractic offices, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is a really different way to approach healthcare, where it's mm-hmm. much more whole person centered, more vitalistic, and that's what I ended up doing, and going to the chiropractic school, mm-hmm. um, and then. You know, with natu- naturopathy and chiropractic, they're sort of like you know twins, right, or sisters. Mm-hmm. I'll say they're sisters. Yeah, sisters. Yeah, their, in their philosophy, in terms of how we care for for patients. So it's lovely to hear that. And just for um, let's let's start with probably the most common question that I know I I get, and I, I assume because you are um, someone who focuses especially on your social media channels and being the uh, medical advisor. We should also mention that you are also the medical advisor. <laughs> Currently of <laughs> yes. uh, precision analytical, analytical. Which, is, mm-hmm. which is the Dutch ch- the Dutch test. Um, let's talk about first for a woman who has never done any testing before. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest questions I receive are which hormone should I be testing? Yeah, and and even and it's usually followed by wh- and where do they come from? Like where mm-hmm. do where do hormones even come from? Right. So, let's actually start at those two. uh, uh, guideposts and then we can, and we can get into some of the specifics around estrogens and testosterone.
1: And I love this question too, because, and, I, and I, I've said this before, uh, a couple of years ago, my mom, who is my biggest fan said to me, I love reading all your social media, but I don't always understand it. In fact, I don't even really know what a hormone is. And I was like, well, I failed. Yeah. <laughs> I failed. My mom has no idea what a hormone is. Oh my goodness. So um, hormones are basically just messengers, right? They're, they're basically little signals that get sent out from various glands in the body to, to usually to do something, to turn something on, activate something, catapult something. That's what a hormone does. We have lots of areas of our body that make hormones. We call them glands. So we have adrenal glands. We have thyroid gland. We have the pancreas, we have ovaries, men have testicles. So we have, we have glands in our brain that make the original signaling hormone uh, that goes downstream. And so we have all these glands and they communicate with each other. Like, you know, my teenagers do on Snapchat all day long to figure out how to move yourself forward, how to handle your fatigue, how to get your cycle regulated, how to deal with temperature, how to, you know, handle your hair, your skin, your heart, your blood sugar. I mean, your bones, it's, they literally handle everything in your body. So when women say I feel hormonal, what hormone should I test? Usually when it's related to their cycle, their period, they're talking about estrogen and progesterone. That's usually what they're talking about. So estrogen and progesterone follows a rhythm for women who are still getting the menstrual cycle or are of an age they should still be cycling. The estrogen and progesterone go up and down a little bit like a roller coaster, but it's supposed to be a like literally like a roller coaster on a track, like it's a set track. It goes up and down every month. So when we test hormones, we're looking for women predominantly at testing them in the second half of their cycle. So if your period is day one, the first day you bleed is day one, most women generally get their hormones checked days, 19, 20, 21, because we're at a certain point on the roller coaster track and, and it's a very set point. We know the reference ranges for that point. We know what to expect at that point, and that's why we test there. Now it's not a set not set in stone for every woman. We because we some women have longer cycles, some people women have shorter cycles, some people don't cycle at all and they can't figure out what's going on. And so we we just have to adjust the testing days a little bit. Right. And that's now,
0: for testing specifically, or would you say that's true across the board?
1: All across the board. Saliva, blood testing, you know, women are listening to this and go, Oh, you know what? I have a OBGYN appointment tomorrow. Can I ask for a blood test for Can I get my estrogen and progesterone tested? Yeah, you can. Just make sure you're at the right part of your cycle. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about where you are in your cycle and if that's the appropriate day to test. Now we have other hormones that we talk about, right? I don't have a I don't have a sex drive, or you know, I have uh, my hair's falling out, and so those other hormones like thyroid, testosterone, cortisol, DHEA, we we can actually test them whenever. Kind of when you feel your worst, (laughs) we can test them. They're not so cycle related and we tend to, to make it easier for women, test them all at once, you know, one day, why not just knock it out. But other women will say, well, actually I feel the worst on, on this day. Can I test cortisol this day? Or can I test my thyroid this day?
0: I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not so set in stone. So the first thing for anyone listening is to track your cycle, right? Because that's going to give you, and and you would, you, I mean, I'm sure that you know that you would be amazed at how many women I speak to that don't, they have no idea how long their cycle is. They don't track. They don't know. It's like, oh yeah, it's here. Like, okay, I guess I'm bleeding now. And like, okay, I'm not bleeding anymore. And now probably in about a month, you know, they have, there's no, um, tracking and that's yeah. really if there's any takeaway that's like the first thing right because then mm-hmm. you really do get to understand the differences in terms of your mood your energy your sleep mm-hmm. your all the things that you were saying and mm-hmm. to really get to understand yourself and your horm- your own personal hormonal milieu whatever that looks mm-hmm. like for you yeah right right
1: And I'll be honest, like it's even I'm, I mean, I track, I have an app on my phone that I track my cycle and I'm aware when I ovulate, I can feel it. Mm -hmm. But I was somewhere, I think probably with a group of friends and they were like, oh, how long is your cycle? And I was like, well, I'm very consistent, 28 days. And I pulled up my app and I, my app gives me an average, like what your average days are. And it said 26. And I was like, when did I lose two days? And why didn't I know? (laughs) So apparently I'm a 26-day girl instead of a 28-day girl. So nice. even, it gets to the best of us. <laughs>
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about well actually before we even get into estrogen let's just contrast cause we we've mentioned blood salivary mm-hmm. uh, urine. urine what are what are the differences between these tests like why would we opt for a Dutch test a, a dried urine test versus going to the doctor and getting a blood draw or taking a salivary sample what, what would what are some of the differences between those three. So the big one is
1: ease of collection. Can you do it at home and the information that you get? So the blood test, of course, has been around forever. It's very common. Insurance generally covers it. Um, but it gives you an in the moment. So I want to know my estrogen right now. I want to know my estradiol, which is the most potent right now. I want to know my testosterone right now. So you can go to the lab, you get a blood draw, and you get your, you get your number. The bonus of saliva and subsequently dried urine is that you get to do it at home. So you don't have to go in a lab, which for a lot of people right now, they don't want to go into a hospital. They don't want to go into a blood draw center. Um, And the other bonus is that we, we can collect multiple times in a day when it's saliva or when it's urine. So they can, for example, cortisol, maybe you want to know what your cortisol rhythm is through the whole day. So you'll collect in the morning. You'll collect a couple hours later. You'll collect around dinner and before bed. So now we see a bigger picture. We see a bigger um, pattern of what's going on. Hard to get a blood draw four times in the day. Not many people really want to go do that. Right. On top of it, now we have urine. We We have dried urine, which dried sounds funny, but really it's just you're urinating on these pieces of filter paper letting the paper dry, and then mail them back. So it's it's just something simple like that. The the added benefit of the urine is not only do you get those hormones and you get the ability to do it at home and throughout the day, but you also get what we call pathways or metabolites. So you draw an estrogen or a testosterone and I can tell you where it goes. So women will say, I am scared of estrogen. I have all these symptoms what are my risks? And the nice part of the the dried urine is I can say, well, there's, there's, there's some pathways you go down. Some are better than others. And let's see where you go and what your risks are. Same for testosterone. Women say, I'm getting cystic acne on my jawline. I'm having some hair loss at my temples. What could be going on? We do dried urine. I'll say, okay, here's your testosterone. And it's going down the pathway that actually causes cystic acne and hair loss, loss. Let's get you off the pathway. So with dried urine, um, you just get a, little, a lot more information um, beyond just a blood draw with the convenience of doing it at home.
0: Yeah, and the way I like to compare that is like the blood draw is almost like a picture. Like you take a picture on your phone, it's like a moment in time. The Dutch test or a dried urine, as you're saying, and even you know if you're taking salivary, if you're doing a 24 hour Mm -hmm. uh, cortisol uh, salivary test, then you it's Mm -hmm. like a video. Like there's much more context. There's much you get you get a little bit more color. What's happening? Why it's happening? When it's happening? So there's a little bit more, a lot more information there for either a clinician or or the individual to be able to parse through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially cortisol is a really big one, especially now everyone is so stressed out, understandably. And if you get a blood draw with cortisol, what, what people don't realize is that the, with, um, the blood draw of cortisol is kind of like like everything cortisol. So it's what we call free cortisol. Free is what's, what's actually active and can bind to receptors and do the things. And then it's what we call bound up cortisol. And so let's say your blood draw result is 20. Well, what you don't know was that that's 19 cortisols bound up, which means they can't do anything. And only one that's free, or maybe it's 19 that are free and active and causing you anxiety and one that's bound up. And so the saliva and the, and the dried urine actually parses that apart. And now we can actually see more comprehensive for people. So it many a time people go, oh gosh, I got my cortisol drawn this morning in the blood and it's so low or it's so high. I'm like, well, I mean, that's like just a, that's a part. That's a percentage of the answer. Mm-hmm. So let's let's give you some extra information, especially around cortisol, especially right now with everyone running on oh, fight man. or flight.
0: Hundred percent, yeah, and you know maybe we can, we can. I want to talk about cortisol today because one of the things <laughs> that we, I mean, everyone's stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sleep is affected. I mean, your hair is affected, ladies. Yeah. You know, like yes. your hair. If you're noticing that your hair is falling out in clumps, like that's usually an indication that. Well, there could be other things like thyroid and stuff, but there, like cortisol is usually a really big player there. So I want to, I want to yeah. make sure that we circle back to that. Sure, absolutely. All right, let's start with estrogen because. Yeah. Like I, you know, she's like the, that's the phenotypic, you know, female hormone. And just like women through the ages, she has been misunderstood. And <laughs> Yeah, right? poor estrogen. Poor estrogen. So I, I want, I want to set the record straight with her. Um, let's, let's start where, let's actually start where estrogens are made in the body. Mm-hmm. And then I want to part, and then I want to sort of go into like, it's not just one, estrogen we're talking about, it's estrogens because she comes, right, she comes with like, she's like the- A um, girl gang. She is yeah, a girl she's gang. she's Charlie's Angels, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's a girl gang. Yeah. Okay. She is so, a girl
1: gang. Yeah. So estrogen, so the main estrogen um, in the body is called E2 or estradiol. It's the most potent for women, well, men too, but for women. And it's made in, it's primarily made in the ovaries. And so we, on our ovaries, we have these things called follicles. Follicles contain the egg that you're going to ovulate hopefully every month. And on each follicle, our cells that help you make estrogen. They help you make um, predominantly estradiol or E2. And then interestingly enough, you can also make estrogens in your fat tissue. So there's a nifty little enzyme called aromatase, and it will convert um, your testosterone or other hormones like DHEA into estrogen as well. So as women, unfortunately, as women get more adipose tissue then they could be at risk for making higher amounts of estrogen. When women go into menopause, their ovaries do not make estrogen anymore because they're menopausal. And then the body primarily relies on that uh, fat conversion um, into estrogen. So it's not like, um, you know, I know women, of course, A lot of women are always freaking out about weight gain, um, the amount of fat that they have, but it does help us make estrogen and estrogen is so important to our brain health and our bone health, our hair health, our skin health, um, our mood. I mean, it really does... It's a trof- lot trof- when it's trof- in balance. Yeah.
0: Like one of the things <laughs> yeah. it's like, I sort of say this in jest, but you know, there's a time in our cycle when testosterone is really high. And there's mm-hmm. also right before ovulation, we see like that large, you know, rise yeah. in estrogen. That's when like estrogen is trophic. It is a growth fat, And that is when yeah. we want to be lifting heavy, heavy weights because it's yeah. also going to impact bone density, muscle uh, hypertrophy as well. We can talk about some of the, you know, solutions yeah. like resistance training and, and whatnot. But let's, I want to, I want to really go through how estrogen uh, is utilized and metabolized in the body. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the girl gang. So now we know estrogen comes from our adipose tissue or our fat and primarily in our reproductive years from our ovaries. Mm-hmm. So now we are at the girl gang part. So what happened... <laughs> So what are the three girls? And then let's talk about, we can maybe even move into phase one or the hydroxylate, like the first phase of estrogen metabolism. What happens there?
1: Yeah. So the other estrogens are E1, which are estrone, and then E3, which is estriol. And estriol is interesting because estriol is really important for vaginal health it's really important to prevent vaginal dryness. But when you read about estriol, in fact, I think it's Wikipedia, calls it a metabolic waste product. I'm like, oh no, it's so sad. I think we (laughs) actually need estriol. (laughs) But what it means is once you make estriol, it's done. Like then it it then moves out the body. So E1, E2 and E3 are kind of our main estrogens we hear about all the time. Because E3 is quote unquote a metabolic waste product, it does its own form of detoxification. When we're talking about estrogen detox, primarily we're talking about the first two, E1 estrone and E2 estradiol. So when you, you make an estrogen, you use your estrogen, and now you need to be done with your estrogen, or maybe you take estrogen and you need to get rid of your estrogen. Where does it go? So it goes through detoxification. We all also call it metabolism. And there's three main phases. So phase one, as you said, that we test for is hydroxylation. So basically you're taking your estrogen And you're beginning the process of converting it down into a form that you can safely excrete, you can safely get rid of. So it first changes it into what we call phase one detoxification. So you have three options. Again, lots of options, a lot of of estrogen girl gang, um, (laughs) sub-members. So you have what's called a two two hydroxy, because it's hydroxylation is the name of the detox pathway. So two hydroxy, you have four hydroxy and 16 hydroxy. They're numbered. So two, four, 16. So estrogen will always go down all three of them to some degree, but we want to prefer the two pathway. So the two pathway is less carcinogenic. It's not no carcinogenic. It's not, um, you know, has zero risk. It has a little bit of risk, but less carcinogenic, meaning less cancer causing. The 16 pathway is what we call the proliferative pathway. It makes things grow. It's estrogenic. So think bone health, good for bones. Maybe not so great for women with heavy periods and clots and fibroids, tender breasts. 16 can get a little crazy there. The four pathway is the concerning pathway. The four pathway is the one that has the increased risk for DNA damage. And of course, if the DNA gets damaged and our DNA repair system can't fix it fast enough, that's when we get into maybe some increased risk for cancer. You know, we call it mutation. So it, you know, problems with our DNA. Mm-hmm. So estrogen goes through one of these, down one of these three pathways. So our goal with our diet and our lifestyle and our choices is to prefer the two pathway and minimize as much as we can the four pathway. So that's, that's all about, that's all phase one. Those three pathways are all phase one um, options.
0: And then there's a certain genetic predisposition that we have here as well, right? Is there certain, because we have the genes like CYP1A1 yep. is, and CYP1B1. So is there, do we have a certain, and, and I know that we can influence it through, uh, you know, some of the foods that we eat and, and mm-hmm. supplements and so, and so forth, but is there more of a genetic predisposition? Is that, is it worth knowing what those things are?
1: I think it is worth knowing as a woman. So I just got mine redone. I've had, um, and my 1B1, interestingly, my, I have a fast SIP 1B1. So 1B1 is what pushes the four pathway. Mm-hmm. Whereas 1A1 and 1A2, it's like your, A. it's like the A game pathway. That, that pushes the two pathway. So you want more A and a little less B. <laughs> and I have more B. I, my B is fast. And so, but when I test, when I, when I do my Dutch test, it doesn't manifest for me like that. So I'm doing the diet, the lifestyle choices to minimize my B pathway, my, which is the four pathway and upregulate my two pathway. So even though I have the preference for the bad pathway, I can, uh, easily, uh, switch that, change that. So I think as women, I think it's really important to know this, at least know where your pathways are at. So even if you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to pay for DNA testing right now. Like that's kind of expensive or, that's overwhelming or I'm not sure how to do that. At least do understand where you are in your pathways because whether it's genetic or not, we can do great things to help, you know, push you onto a better pathway, which is really nice.
0: I love that you're saying this too because it's it's like I don't know who said it so I'm I'm going I'm not going to be able to attribute it so if anybody knows it but it's like epi, like it's the, the genetics yeah. that load the gun the yeah. epigenetics that pull the trigger. So you yeah. might so I am actually the same as you Kerr. I mean we seem to be sisters. So <laughs> I my genetics my cyp one b one is very fast. I tend to like that 4OH mm-hmm. pathway, the da- DNA damaging quinone producing Pathway, but because I do the lifestyle, as you said, there's mm-hmm. lots of movement, there's lots of stress reduction uh, as much as I can right now. You know, there's the, the nutrition, all those things mm-hmm. that when I do testing, when I do the Dutch, I don't, I don't show that up. I, I don't show up right to be 4oh dominant and just to give a breakdown so when we're looking at those pathways about two and correct me if i'm wrong here the 2oh one about 70% of our estrogen yeah. going down that pathway correct yeah. ideally it, yeah it, ideally 70 10% for the 4oh L- a little bit like it's like 14% ish mm-hmm. 14% and then the or less I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly yeah okay and then the, and then the fill would be 16oh yeah. like whatever's yeah. left over there okay yeah. so Let's talk about, so we have, that's hydroxylation. That's phase one yes, that happens phase one. in the liver. So again, liver health is also very important. Moving into conjugation or phase two, this is essentially like the way I like to describe this is like a relay race. Like this is really when you're basically making the those metabolites that you produced in phase one, you're making them more water soluble mm-hmm. for either renal or biliary, uh, Excretions. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, a yeah. couple of different ways that you can do this: um, methylation, which I want to do a little geeky carpet mm-hmm. ride, magic carpet ride on. With you. Uh, glutathionization, and the one I can never say properly, gl- <laughs> glucuronidation. Glucuronidation. Yes.
1: Yes. All yes. right.
0: So let's talk about methylation, and let's talk about, and this is what I mean when I say it's like a bit like a relay. I used to run relay, so this makes sense to me. Like it's basically <laughs> like punting the baton to yes. the next runner. So yes. let's talk about. Let's talk about why methylation is so important and how that can affect, if you have poor methylation, mm-hmm. how that can affect estrogen metabolism.
1: So just like you said, now you, you have all these phase one, what we call metabolites, right? So your, est- your estrogen has been converted into one of them, a two, a four, a 16. So the two or the four have to get what we call neutralized. And just like you said, water soluble. So everyone thinks methylation and they go, oh, right, MTHFR. I'm like, no, actually it's the enzyme COMT or COMT. That's the enzyme. That's the big player here. It's the COMT mm-hmm. enzyme that is the methyl donor to neutralize the estrogen. Now, MTHFR and folate play a role in the big picture, but really what we're looking at is what's called the methionine cycle. So it's where methionine, or excuse me, homocysteine uh, becomes methionine, And then after methionine, you make SAM. A lot of people maybe are familiar with the supplement SAMe, S-A-M-E, SAMe. And then um, that is a cofactor, helps with COMT, and the cycle goes back around again. So they're known as methyltransferases. Like I said, they put the methyl on, and by putting the methyl on, it neutralizes it, and it's now ready to be excreted. Um, out of the body, either in through your kidneys, out in the urine, or through your uh, liver, gallbladder, and then into the intestines and out as stool. So the healthier your methylation is, the healthier that methionine cycle is, the healthier your COMT enzyme is, which could be fast or slow, um, depending on your genetics and depending on lifestyle stuff, then the better off, hopefully, your estrogen detoxification will be.
0: Good. And I want to talk about comp because I have, um, and one of the things I love specifically about the Dutch test is even if you don't have your genetics because, like you were saying, like maybe you don't want to get the genetics, or you don't know how, you don't have a functional provider who can, you know, parse through the information with you. You can actually get a sense of how efficient your comped gene is yeah. by looking at the ratio. Because in the in the Dutch test, you have a ratio. Um, well, you have the two OH, um, and you can look at that versus two methoxy right. uh, estrogen. So if you have a high, right. if you have a lot of two OH and not a lot of the two methoxy estrogen, you can kind of infer that maybe there's a bit of backup in the system, right? Like comp is a little bit um, slower. Slow. Yeah. And
1: so my analogy is uh, a bathtub. It's always been a bathtub. So if you think of your bathtub, water in your bathtub, a drain, and then connected to your sewer line out of your house. So phase one estrogen is the water coming into your bathtub. What kind of water is it? How fast is your water? How slow is your water? phase two is your drain. So that's your, your comp, right? Is your, is your drain open? Is your drain closed? Is your drain open, but it's not open wide enough because there's so much water coming into the system. Um, and, and then phase three, which we'll get to that's the sewer line out of the house, which is literally your intestines. (laughs) And so it's this, so if you have, just like you said, if you have a lot of, um, phase one estrogen, a lot of water coming into your bathtub, but your drain is clogged or your drain is half open, then you're going to overflow into your bathroom, right, which causes damage. It's the same in your body. If you have an overflow of those phase one estrogens, you're going to cause damage in the body. So we want that drain to be nice and open, nice and healthy before we do anything with the water.
0: Mm-hmm. And how, what are some ways? So if you if you're looking at the Dutch test or you have your genetic info, and you're like, okay, my mm-hmm. comp is really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, I have a, I'm heterozygous, so I'm kind of like a medium. Me mm-hmm. too. You know, mm-hmm. My comp is not super fast. It's not super slow. It's just in the middle. What are some ways that we can upregulate or help to support uh, that gene in doing its job?
1: So the two big cofactors are, like I said, SAM, um, which a lot of people know the supplement, SAMe, but do be careful with, with SAMe. But magnesium, magnesium is the other big cofactor for compt. And then I have read that zinc, um, the nutrient zinc, can, can act in the place of magnesium like 60 to 70% of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the world is magnesium deficient and zinc deficient just for a lot of reasons. And by not having those just basic nutrients, um, you're going to have a a much slower, a much slower comp. Now, unfortunately, also being estrogen dominant, having high estrogen also slows down comp. And so even if you have a fast comp, if you have a lot of estrogen, or maybe you're taking estrogen, too, too much estrogen, you're, you can slow your own enzyme down. So we, we want to work to at least get your own estrogen you know, back in balance and improve your improve your comp status. There are other cofactors, folate being one of them, like I said, MTHFR um, is a part of it. Vitamin B12, um, the methyl or hydroxy B12 can be really helpful. Choline, phosphatidylcholine, glycine, trimethylglycine, which is also known as, um, betaine, uh, methionine, which you can take as a supplement, all these things, B6, you know? So again, it's, it's not, it's not earth shattering expensive stuff. It's, it's a lot of just nutrients we get from good diet from vegetables and fruits grown in good soil. Or sometimes we do need to supplement with, um, quality supplements to get it back into our body to help the cycle go round and round.
0: Yeah. I, I love, I like what you're saying. Cause sometimes I, and I, I'm a big fan of supplementation because I think that where and we, I, I want to have someone on the podcast to talk about regenerative agriculture and yeah. what's happening to our soils, because I'll, oftentimes I'll hear, well, I just want to get it from my diet. And while that is a more, that is, the utopia. I, yeah, it is noble. <laughs> it is noble. What, yes, I would like to as well. Yeah. What we know, even with our organic produce, like we are depleting the nutrients in our soil. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you complete, when you're using the soil over and over and over again, there's no time for rest. Or when you have a lot of crop dusting and all of that sort of starts to bleed into the the soil and the runoff mm-hmm. into the Waters and stuff, I think yeah. that it, supplementation has become you know, the word supplement it means to supplement an already clean diet. So, if you're doing everything that you can in the nutrition realm, but I think that now it, it is it's almost like an insurance policy, like you just yeah. also should be taking it as yeah. well.
1: It's even just I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but even, um, I'm, I'm not I don't have a green thumb at all, I can keep um succulents alive and airplanes. I have two airplanes, but this year I thought, you know what? I'm a grown up woman. I can grow tomatoes. Like I can start a little garden right outside. So I started with tomatoes and peppers and, um, yay me. I, they grew and I have all these tomatoes and peppers. And so, but what I, what my husband and I say all the time is, I mean, I buy organic. I try to get or, as organic as possible with vegetables, especially the soft skin, uh, vegetables yes. Yes. and, I can buy organic vegetables at my local store that comes from Oregon or Washington, which is where I'm from, and it doesn't taste the same as the organic tomatoes I pluck off my off my vine in my backyard. It's, it's night and day difference, which tells me the nutrient content of what I'm growing in my backyard just because I can pluck it off the vine and eat it right there versus pluck it, package it, ship it, unpack it, I buy it. It just declines over time. Right. It's, right so crazy.
0: I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, You mentioned magnesium. Uh, there mm-hmm. are many different types of magnesium. Is there, <laughs> is there one that you yes. like or do you want to yes. get on that rabbit yeah. hole?
1: Yeah. So the cool thing about magnesium, so a lot of people go, which is the best magnesium? Magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate, magnesium sulfate, oxide, If L3 and 8. Um, and, and the other question I get is like, well, which one is magnesium? They're all magnesium, all yeah. of them. So magnesium glycinate is magnesium with a glycine attached. Magnesium sulfate is magnesium with a sulfate attached. That's like Epsom salt baths um, or Epsom salts that you put in a bath. Um, Magnesium citrate has, you know, citrate oxide has oxygen attached. They're all going to get you some magnesium. Some will absorb better than others. And the general magnesium that has pretty good bioavailability and probably is not going to cause you a lot of diarrhea is magnesium glycinate. So that's the one that... um, is and you should generally take it later in the day, maybe at night, because the glycine is calming. And so if you have sleep issues, it might help with that. But it doesn't generally cause the loose stools effect. Now, if you are prone to constipation, then you may say, Well, I like citrate because that helps me, you know, move my bowels every morning. And that's an option as well. And you take I personally morning? take, I take you can you can i do glycinine glycinate at night and i do 3 and 8 l3 and 8 uh in the morning so l3 and 8 is a neat little uh molecule that gets magnesium across the blood brain barrier it yes. gets magnesium into the brain and it's been shown in studies to improve brain health and so i take um a capsule of that in the morning um to cover all my bases cuz i want the magnesium for sleep and for you know sore muscles and, you know, relaxation, but then I want my brain support in the morning. And I, I crave it. I, I know I'm magnesium deficient. Uh, one, I want all the dark chocolate in the world and two, <laughs> I feel so much better. And there's and a lot of people say, well, if you crave a lot of dark chocolates, probably you're missing magnesium. Mm. Um, and so, and I feel so much better. I just, I just know it when I take my magnesium.
0: You know, magnesium is better than diamonds for women. Like we, yeah. we need it like yeah. so. Like I think it's vitamin D and magnesium are the top two deficiencies that we see actually globally. Yeah. Um, but this is particularly yeah. true. I mean, I'm I'm in Toronto, so I'm I'm further north than you. But mm-hmm. we, you know, the further like the higher up you go, the more D you need, the more yeah. vitamin D you need, the more omega threes you need, and of course the more magnesium you need. So I I'm so glad that we just stopped here. For a moment, because I get this question a lot too. It's like yeah. which magnesium? They're yeah. all magnesium, but they do—they yeah. have depending on you know what sister they've taken with them, uh, what plus one they have. Yeah, with the ball. Then you know, there's different um, different outcomes there as well.
1: I, I call it magnesium's last name, like magnesium glycate, oh. you know, magnesium <laughs> citrate. Like good. it's just magnesium and its last name.
0: <laughs> right, I love it. That's so yeah. good. <laughs> So let's, let's move into phase three. This is excretion. This is when we is have, excretion. so we've yes. done the, and you know, good, good, like, you know, the word can sometimes be a little off putting for people, but this is when we get rid of estrogen. So walk yes. us through how this happens.
1: <laughs> so once you go through phase two detoxification, you are essentially an estrogen. This is how I vision it anyway, in a box with a lid on it, with a bow tied on top. And so now you're going to get, you're going to excrete it somehow. And it's um a lot of people do stool testing right a lot of people poop in a cup for science and they want to see what's going on. And one of the reasons they do that not just the parasites or candida or the microbiome but there is an enzyme called beta glucuronidase and what it does if it's too high is it will untie the bow and it will open the lid and it will let estrogen fly free and it gets reabsorbed back into the system. So if you have an estrogen that's made it through phase 1 and it's made it through phase 2 and now it's in your intestines Earmarked to get shipped out in its little box, but then it gets reabsorbed. That could be a big part of your estrogen problem if you're struggling with a lot of estrogen issues. It could be right in the gut because this enzyme is essentially acting like scissors and just cutting off that bow and opening up that lid. So now what we want to do is we want to do all the things we know for for gut health, for microbiome health, for reduce reducing inflammation, and and just improving the microbiome and you know getting rid of any ride-alongs like, you know, parasites and candida and whatnot, avoiding foods we know are inflammatory to us. I know there's a lot of, you know, um, I guess controversy around, you know, people talk about food intolerances or food allergies, food sensitivities. And I'm like, all right, but you know, you know, when you eat a food and you shouldn't, you know, like my dad should not eat ice cream. He should not. You know, I don't care if it's an allergy sensitivity or whatever it is. Ice cream is not my dad's friend. And so when it comes to GI health, uh, I would tell, you know, my dad was my patient. I would say, you know, every time you eat ice cream, it completely hurts your intestinal tract. And that's going to affect your hormones. Same for women. I have women write me that go, I know I shouldn't eat corn, but I love popcorn or tortilla chips. <laughs> I'm like, but you know, <laughs> you right. know, it's yes. not good for you. You know, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And that's hurting your estrogen, among other things. But since we're talking about estrogen, it's potentially causing the estrogen to just get recirculated and you're trying to get rid of it. So it's like you put the trash out and then, and then somebody else just brought it back in and you're like, no, you go out and then it keeps getting brought back in.
0: Right. So what are some of the lifestyle interventions that we, that, that might be able to, that would throw that off? So you talk, we talk about food intolerances or, I mean, and I agree with you. I think that innately or intuitively, if you're paying attention, when you eat something Mm -hmm. like Giovanni can't have potatoes, like it doesn't matter he just can't do potatoes. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're paying attention to some of these foods that may be aggravating the gut, maybe there's some hyperpermeability or there's mm-hmm. like inflammation, as you mentioned, what are some things maybe in our environment, if there's some environmental toxins, what are some yeah. things that can influence that?
1: I I mean, everything, actually everything you said, so all the chemicals that we are exposed to, you know, wear down on our gut permeability and affect. We have a, we have a mucus layer, um, that's very protective mucus layer in our intestines. And it's, it's to buffer our, um, innermost intestinal layer that does all the absorption and then all the crap that we eat, drink, breathe, or swallow, whether we want to or not, you know, whether it's intentional. So the more we can be clean about our life and the chemicals we put on our skin or in our makeup or how we clean our house or the air fresheners we have in our car, or our hobbies. Um, even right now, I mean, I live in Portland, Oregon, and we have a massive wildfires. And so it's raining today. Thank, thank goodness. But I've had my air purifier running 24 seven because not only am I breathing in all the smoke, but I'm breathing in everything that got burned up. So Plastics, treated wood, toxins, copper, you know, all of that's
0: the glue in the air.
1: Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I breathe it in and swallow it down, and it's up to my intestines. This is why 80%, 70% of our immune system is in our intestines because everything we eat, drink, breathe, breathe, or swallow goes right through into the intestines. And so chemicals, absolutely, are a really big one. Lack of hydration, you know, lack of fiber, lack of movement. Those women that are prone to constipation, they don't have a bowel movement every day that just sits there. And when it just sits there, it can also reabsorb, right? You can you can reabsorb stuff you don't want to back into your system. Stress, believe it or not, stress greatly affects our immune system. It greatly affects our mucus layer in our intestines, it greatly affects the way our intestines work. Some women get stressed out and they get constipated. Other women get stressed out and they have loose stools. And so it, we know it's it's inherently tied right there to our to our gut. Right. When it comes to that kind of health. And then um just even like people who've traveled a lot and and maybe or camping, like outdoorsy folks, you know, have you maybe parasites, maybe candida, you know, maybe You've got some ride-alongs in your gut that you just, some bad bacteria that you don't, you didn't, you just didn't know. You got food poisoning five years ago and, you know, you're recovered, but you've sort of always had, now you kind of have a sensitive GI tract um, or you, you pr- you're prone to a GI stuff, you know, more, more than you used to be and food poisoning, you know, depending what it's from can cause quite an imbalance in the gut and right why sometimes it's helpful to get testing and see what's going on.
0: Let's move a little bit into uh, some solutions. So we've been talking about how things work, which I think is a really important, like you've just knocked it out of the park in terms of (laughs) explaining things. So thank you. Yeah. Um, So let's imagine, um, you know, maybe a clinical picture, like there's a woman, maybe she's she's 43, two kids, she's complaining, she's feeling hormonal that are, that's Mm -hmm. cyclically related. Um, You know, Onset of her, and I'll just give you. And of course, we're you know to, to anyone that's listening, you know, Dr. Jones is a doctor, but she's not your doctor, right? So she's, <laughs> gonna, she's she's going to give recommendations, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're cleared to go and do them, right? Um, but just kind of getting a clinical picture in terms of what you might look like. Let's say you know her menses is very heavy, the onset, mm-hmm. lots of clotting. So there's evidence of some estrogen dominance relative to progesterone in the luteal phase of her cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, we do the Dutch test. We see that uh, her she favors her four OH pathway versus her two OH pathway. Um, Compt is like medium to slow. Mm-hmm. What would be like? Maybe we can just start with like phase. Like, how would you? Where do I start? Where do we, what do we do? So, <laughs> what do we do? We actually start with the
1: intestines. So we always we talk about it right as one, two, three, but we treat it as three, two, one because it's the same exact thing in your house. If you if your if your um if your bathtub is clogged. Um, you're, you're going to focus first focus on, well, if your sewer line is clogged, let's say that if your sewer line is clogged, you can turn the bath water on off. You can dribble it, trickle it. You can filter it. It doesn't matter what you do with your bath water. If your sewer line is clogged, you're going to have an overflowing bathtub. Same for your drain. So we always unclog. (laughs) We always get the intestinal health rolling first, and then we back up to the comped And then we back up to the the two, four and 16 pathways. Now I get asked, can I do all three at the same time? Absolutely. 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 We can be working on your gut health with um, we maybe we're doing you know stool testing, but there is a, you know I'm adding more fiber into your diet. I'm adding things like ground flax seeds and making an inulin and prebiotics, sauerkraut and things like that, and maybe even probiotics depending depending on the person. Um, I'm adding things. There's a supplement called calcium deglucurate, and what it does is it keeps the box and the bow intact. It doesn't really address the cause, but it does help. Um, keep estrogen being excreted while you're working on the cause, which is really nice. You do have to be careful, you do get some calcium. So some people have written me and said, for whatever reason, I can't do calcium or I have, you know, parathyroid hormone problems, I can't do calcium. I'm like, oh, you can't do the supplement then. Be careful. So then we back up to COMT. So now we're like, what do I do for COMT? I'm like, all right, let's let's get you replenished. Let's supplement you with things like magnesium. Let's see if you have other nutrients that are out of balance like zinc and let's test your B12 and let's address your folate. Let's get a little choline in. Let's address, you do eat eggs, you know, are you eating all- With the go, yolk. With what the, I was going to say with the yolk, right? The yolk, yeah. You know, because these are really helpful for clearing out estrogen. And then we back up to the 2, 4, 16. And this is where um, with diet, we're looking at your brassica family, which are your broccoli, your kale, your cauliflower, your Brussels sprouts. And they contain an ingredient called I3C, indole 3 carbonyl. And when indole 3 carbonyl hits your stomach acid, it breaks apart into a lot of things. The main thing you want is called DIM, methane And what DIM does is it redirects your pathway down to the two pathway. So it redirects away from the four and away from the 16 down to the two. And that's what makes it really nice. Now, some people might go, well, I have really poor stomach acid. I I don't digest very well. So then you may consider things like hydrochloric acid, bitters, lemon water, apple cider vinegar, you know, when you're eating these foods, you may also supplement with digestive enzymes, or maybe you'll just Skip the indol three carbonyl part and take the supplement DIM. Take diindolmethane, and the problem is solved for that—not for your digestion, but at least for the your for your estrogens.
0: And, do and you so ca- that can be really helpful. Do you do you recommend doing the DIM like pulsing it through the cycle, or there's certain times, or does it really depend on the patient? Or they take it all really
1: the de- really depends on the patient. So what's cool about Dutch is we have a particular test called the cycle mapping, which is where you, you test almost every day of your cycle. And I like it for women who say, not only do I have PMS, but I also have terrible ovulation time. And I'll go, all right, let's see what's going on. And if they have, um, you're supposed to have a high estrogen peak at ovulation, but some women, you know, shoot for the moon (laughs) and make a lot, (laughs) right. They're like, they're definitely those like type a go-getters when it comes to their estrogen. So I'm like, all right, let's do some dim there. And then let's, let's, let's do some dim as, as we get closer. So I will pulse it um depending on her symptoms. If she says, look, as I get to day 25, I'm a I'm a mess. My my breasts are big, I'm bloated, I feel terrible, and then my periods are heavy, I have lots of clots. I'm like, all right, let's focus at the end. Let's let's do some of these supplements closer to the end while we're working on diet, lifestyle, nutrition, chemicals, you know, stress, sleep all through the cycle.
0: And can we contrast dim with sulforaphanes for a moment because I yes. think that they're often yes. put in this they're like oh they all come from the brassica family so they must right. all do the same thing. So what let's let's first like just part what are what are the differences between the two?
1: So sulforaphane is my favorite. Uh, I take it every single day um because of just our, my risks with my uh genetics. So what so not full grown broccoli but broccoli sprouts so the true little like broccoli sprouts they contain an ingredient called glucoraffin. And when you eat broccoli sprouts, when you ch- chomp them or when you cut them up, they form sulforaphane. So glucoraffin magically interacts with something called morosinase and that forms sulforaphane. Basically, it's a big fancy word. And what it does is it upregulates like Compt. And it takes the four, if it's going down the wrong pathway, headed towards DNA damage, which is called a quinone with a Q, and it redirects it or it upregulates certain genes like a glutathione gene and another fancy gene called quinone reductase to properly excrete it. And so I like broccoli sprouts, either grow them yourself, which I've started doing and putting them in my
0: smoothies and my they're salads. They're so cheap to grow. Or they're, so oh cheap, God, they're, they're so cheap and they're
1: so easy. Cheap. I had no yeah. idea. Well, I I'd buy it from a particular company that makes it super easy because again, Mm -hmm. I don't grow things well, but I'm changing that storyline of mine. So, oh, or you could take it as a supplement. Now, if you take it as a supplement, if you take sulforaphane as a supplement, the problem is a lot of companies are using that you'll see in the ingredient label, it'll say, um, uh, sulforaphane glucosylenate, and it'll be hyphenated sulforaphane glucosylenate. It is a, to me, deceiving word because really what it is, is glucoraphanin. But you need the morosinase. That's the right. magic enzyme that magically converts everything. So if you're, what the companies are doing when they do that is they're hoping your gut microbiome will make the conversion for you into sulforaphane. So it's skipping the morosinase step, and it's just hoping your microbiome does it. But the research I've read says, well, our microbiome is not great, and it's pretty variable amongst people. So there's no guarantee how much sulforaphane you're gonna yield out of it. I may get one milligram and you might get ten. So Right, right. So I prefer companies that actually tell you like they put broccoli sprouts with this much morosinase and this is the yield of sulforaphane they're hoping to get. That's what I those are the could companies. Could you take that mustard
0: like. seed could you take like mustard seeds along with it if, if you ha- like if you have you a you can, bottle.
1: especially um well and you can um yeah, you could. You could. Like anything have so mustard kind seed of a lot for the listener
0: that yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And some people will use with their um with their broccoli sprouts. They will put like pour a little mustard seed on top, um, right? For extra added bonus. I don't do that. I love mustard, but I actually, I don't know, convenience laziness. I just. The broccoli jewelry.
0: sprouts are always going to be your, like whatever, you know, Mother Nature really wanted it to be. That's always yeah. going to be your best bet. And, you know, just to, for a moment, it's also, it's better than broccoli as well. So yes. you we may be hearing us talk about broccoli sprouts. like, Oh, well I have broccoli. Yes. Broccoli is great. Nobody's nobody's saying anything otherwise, but broccoli sprouts are orders of magnitude better in terms of the amount of glucoraphanin yeah. that is going to be there. And then as you're chewing, as you were saying, you're going to be now uh, converting it into much, more sulforaphane. Yeah. Uh, it's like ten. T- it's like ten times the amount. Yeah. I don't know the exact yeah. number, but it's something like that. It's significant, and,
1: and that's way different from DIM. So DIM from broccoli or indole three right. carbonyl affects your pushes things to your two pathway. So it, they both affect estrogen, just two different ways. Right, and you can take both. I have women say, "Can I do both? Can I take?" You know, like my doctor suggested, I take DIM and sulforaphane. Is that safe? Yeah. Yeah, it's safe. If that's what your doctor wants you to do, you can take them together. They do
0: different things. Right, good. You see why I wanted to start off with estrogen because yes. it's so, so <laughs> complicated. So much to discuss. <laughs> so much to discuss. Yeah. I wanted to shift gears if we can, move up one level in the uh, hormonal chain of command, if you will, and talk about androgens because this mm. can also be a source of frustration and confusion for women because they... I think we, people assume that we don't make testosterone. And of course right. we have to, mm-hmm. of course we do. And this comes up a lot in, um, when we get to it, we'll talk a little bit about resistance training. Cause I'm always like, you got to lift heavy, you got to lift heavy, heavy, heavy. And so many women are like, but aren't I going to turn into, right. like a, I'm going to look in, like, look a guy. And it's like, you know what, even if you wanted to <laughs> it's not possible but let let's start with androgens testosterone being one of them where do androgens come from i know we talked about estrogen yeah. uh, the adipose tissue the ovaries uh, where does where do androgens where are androgens made in the body
1: so we so the two main androgens we talk about all the time are testosterone and dhea so testosterone is made roughly 20 25% made in the ovaries Roughly 20, 25% made in the adrenal glands. And then the rest also made in the fat tissue. DHEA um, comes in two forms. DHEA S, S is the sulfated form. That is 100% made in your adrenal glands. DHEA, no S, 80% roughly made in your adrenal glands, 20% made in your ovaries. So again, your ovaries are really important. Now we bring in the adrenal gland health and then again, fat tissue, can also take what's in circulation and convert it into uh, testosterone and then further on into, into estrogen. So this is why women who struggle with adrenal issues or if women who struggle with ovarian issues or even like think perimenopause menopause is they're losing their ovarian function like they used to have, their androgen production is going down as well. And they're noticing it and it sucks.
0: And it sucks, so what are some um, I want to talk about perimenopause and menopause in a moment if someone has excess androgens, so mm-hmm. if someone and there's a couple of different I mean this is very complex, but if uh, this is why I wanted you to uh, on here to talk about it mm-hmm. what what are some first some maybe clinical signs like something that a woman might be noticing where she's like, hmm, maybe I am not converting my testosterones to uh, my estrogens appropriately, or my testosterone is converting to uh, dihydrotestosterone, which is mm-hmm. you know what I call super T, right? Yep. Super testosterone, yep. uh, which is much more potent than testosterone. What are some of the clinical signs that uh, that someone might present with, where you know in your in your differentials you might say, okay, maybe she has some androgen ac- excess here.
1: Yeah, so the big key ones we think of like cystic acne, especially along the jawline and underneath the chin, uh, down the neck. We think of hair growth in places you don't want, which is called hirsutism. And I'm not talking about the like stray, you know, tree branch that we all get on our chin and have to pluck out and it's awful. Um, I'm talking about like women are like, I'm actually developing maybe coarser darker hair on the chin or down my neck or around my nipples um along my belly button and it's it's getting worse and it's usually coarser and darker so the, we have the peach fuzz hair right that's just sort of lighter and and then and then we have that coarse dark hair we start to think about male pattern baldness in women so they start to get thinning at the temples um, but you can have sort of thinning all over. we start to think about mood changes, so they're maybe less patient, a little more angry, a little more aggressive uh because androgens can do that in women it can it can push them um into a more angry and patient mood, you know quicker than uh the other hormones and so those are kind of our keynotes the acne, the hair growth, the hair, the mood that's what we tend to think about now there's a condition of course, polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, that uh, the the insulin-based PCOS embodies all of those symptoms. But you don't have to have PCOS to have high levels of androgens. They can be separate.
0: So- just Again, just like estrogen metabolism, there's going to be some genetic influence here in yes. terms of you know, what you prefer. And yeah. with the Dutch test, one of the things I love is you, you look at 5-alpha reductase activity. Yeah. So maybe let's explain to the listener what that is and how that's going to you know, determine how potent the testosterone's are, uh, testosterone is going to be.
1: So in order to make that super T that you talked about, that dihydrotestosterone, we use an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. And 5-alpha reductase can be increased by insulin, so having high insulin in the body, high inflammation in the body if you're inflamed, um, and then high uh, cortisol. So stress um, can be a big instigator there. And then what happens is testosterone becomes that DHT, which is considerably more potent at the uh what we call testosterone receptors. So they like turn on the receptors, you know, tenfold compared to testosterone. So if you have a preference for five alpha reductase and if you are making, as a woman, excessive amounts of DHT, then you're more likely to have all of those symptoms that we really don't want. Thankfully, we can use things naturally to kind of and there's even medications to get you off that pathway and help um Reduce
0: those symptoms. What are some of those interventions? So
1: the most like the medications a lot of people maybe are familiar with are spironolactone, um, metformin, which is known as glucophage. Those are two that are often used. But from a natural standpoint, one we're going to just first and foremost address the cause. So lower the insulin, lower the inflammation, address the stress. But then as a band aid, the supplements that work similar are um, reishi mushroom, uh, saw palmetto, st- a stinging nettle root—not the leaf, but the root. There's another one called Pygium africanum. A lot of times they'll add zinc into that mix. Zinc can be helpful. Zinc alone I don't find helpful at all, but it's often mixed into that. Into that group of um, herbs, you will often times find this group of herbs in supplements called prostate, prostate support, prostate health, prostate whatever. And women will go, um, I don't have, I don't
0: prostate. have one of those.
1: I know, like, did you get it wrong? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I know it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's the stuff, I need the stuff inside. <laughs> yeah. yes. it's it's same same for men and women. It's same dose, same stuff. Men take saw palmetto men take reishi mushroom. Um, EGCG from green tea. Um, EGCG is a big active ingredient of green tea that can be really helpful as well. And so you'll see them in, you know, a lot of mixes. So I tell women like, just cover the label up.
0: just cover the label up. Yeah. Yeah. Just. What about, yeah. what about berberine? Have, do you see, um, so metformin, one of the things that it does is it, well, there's many things it does, but, yeah. uh, it helps reduce, uh, insulin. Berberine is yes. a much weaker form of it. Um, but has been shown to mimic metformin, but you mm-hmm. know, being a natural, is that something that you ever recommend or see? I do,
1: especially if it's insulin related. So berberine and inositol, myo inositol yes. are the two big ones that I use for the insulin folks. Um, is a proven 5-alpha reductase decreaser. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see it in the literature very often. Uh, You see the other ones more. But if you know insulin is the cause, if you're like, well, you know, their fasting insulin's high, they're hyperinsulinemic, then berberine and even myelonositol, metformin, they're all going to help in a roundabout way because the driving force is insulin. So take away the driving force and your testosterone drops down.
0: So we have supplements and then obviously in terms of nutritional intervention, it's going to be restricting your carbohydrates. And this is yeah. where I think yeah. women with PCOS or just, even if you don't have the label, as you mentioned, like even if you have a tendency towards androgen excess, you should also be having what I like to call a carb, carbohydrate appropriate diet mm-hmm. where you are not having the donuts and the cookies and the chips and the crackers, you yeah. know, at libidin. Yeah. The Fancy soda. the coffee
1: drinks, right? You know, right. when... So that that's, I think that uh, now, especially in our society, there's um, the juice companies, um, Oh yeah, you know, all the fancy, you know, it's pumpkin spice season, you know, <laughs> and then they add whip and they, you know, and it's like, right. oh, that's,
0: have you even looked at how like much 800 calories and like 4,000 grams <laughs> of sugar? Yeah.
1: I know. I'm like, that's ah, not doing you any favors, you know, like right. once in a blue moon, if you want, it, if you're just like, well, I just want to try, you know, this unicorn drink they just came out with, it's covered in whipped cream. Oh my God. Okay, fine. But if you yeah. do it all the time and you can't figure out, out why your symptoms are getting worse, I'm going to, I'm going to show you.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And we know, of course, just like to kind of finish this uh, talk about insulin, when you are having more carbohydrates, those break down obviously into glucose, glucose, and hor- and insulin that's like the hormone pairing there. Mm-hmm. And when your insulin levels are high, your sex hormone blind, uh, blinding, binding ovulin <laughs> uh, is inversely related to insulin. So if yep. your insulin's high, SHBG is low. Yep. And then that obviously means that your testosterone is gonna be able to run amok, right? Because yep. SHBG is the binding hormone that basically, uh, you know, binds up testosterone and delivers it to, you know, to the cell rather than allowing it to sort of have a free for all and exert its influence on all cells on the way to its, its final destination.
1: Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So let's talk, how is this different in menopause? So we've been kind of hinting at it a little bit, but (laughs) what are the differences in estrogen and testosterone metabolism um, between a woman who's in her reproductive years and then someone who is not? And I want to just talk about the adrenal gland and the importance of the adrenals in perimenopause and menopause as well.
1: So perimenopause, I call reverse puberty. So if you remember everything it took to get you into puberty and to make hormones in the first place, in perimenopause... It, as we get closer to menopause, we're basically just reversing out of it. So instead of our ovaries starting to turn on they're they're basically starting to turn off and as a result, a lot of women feel um chaos, they can feel symptoms that come and go, they can you know feel symptoms they've never had before, hot flashes, night sweats. Brain fog, joint pain, vaginal dryness—you know, decreased libido, uh, mood changes, skin changes—and then it can go away. And and then you know, and they're like, "Oh, that was done." And then it'll come back. Maybe women will say, "I was a very normal twenty-eight day consistent girl, and now I've skipped two cycles. What am I pregnant? You know, like what is going on?" Um, or they'll come every two weeks. You know, they're like, "Well, now I get my period all the time," and then it will go away. And so. Because it's a reverse puberty because basically what's happening is the brain is trying to communicate effectively with the ovaries like, hey, do your job, like do it consistently or follow the rhythm. And the ovaries are like, well, you know I'm actually my follicle health isn't what it what it used to be, you know, age and time take its toll. And not only that, I'm losing I've been losing follicles this whole time. So the follicles contain the cells that make the hormone, and as you're losing that ability, you're also then you're losing, the you know the sheer amounts that you used to make, and then we hit menopause, and in menopause, all our numbers, our estrogen, our progesterone, sort of you know drop pretty low. They drop to what we call a menopausal range because we, we don't have the uh, cycle anymore. We we stop bleeding. We don't get a period. We stop cycling. So we kind of get these low flatline uh, hormonal numbers as we go through menopause. So metabolism, our detoxification doesn't actually change. It's just the amount of water that comes in, that is changing. So our what used to be, you know, waterfall now sort of is more like a
0: hopefully steady trickle. Is this the, and then how, what is the importance here now of the adrenal gland specifically? Because now- They're the, yeah.
1: everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're everything. Um, And the thyroid as well. I think it's really important women going into perimenopause and menopause. If you haven't had your thyroid checked in a while, have your thyroid checked because your ovaries, your adrenals and your thyroid, they're, you know, they're kind of like, the th- like a three-legged stool holding you up. I mean, all the other glands are super important too, but um, as your ovaries start to uh, stop making hormones like they used to be, unfortunately, we don't know as women when we're going to go through menopause. Like we don't, we're not born with like a preprint date. That's like, you know, like menopause May 1st on your 55th birthday. Like, oh, that'd be, be that'd, be, that'd be great. That'd be great. Like, God, okay, yeah. like, <laughs> I can be prepared. Yeah, but so none of the other glands know either. The thyroid doesn't know, the adrenals don't know. And all of a sudden the ovaries are just like, I'm not going to work this month. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it this month. And then the adrenals and the thyroid are like, like, where's the ovary? Like what's going on? And so it puts more strain on those other glands in the body. It puts more strain on the pancreas. It puts more strain on, on everything else and how we process stuff. And so I tell women, as we get into perimenopause and and, and then in menopause, like, thyroid and adrenal health are in glucose, insulin, pancreas health are so critically important because they're going to be the ones that then pick up the slack and make hormone and help you continue to feel good and support your body. But what we find is a lot of women enter into perimenopause, they enter into their forties, kind of a stressed out mess, you know, like they're, they're maybe depending on when they started in life, maybe they have little kids. Entering into, then they're entering into perimenopause, or maybe they have kids entering high school or entering into college or university. And so it's big transitions
0: as, yeah. for women. Aging parents.
1: Aging parents is another big one. Mm-hmm. when Women are in their forties and early fifties and their parents are, you know, maybe struggling with their own health issues. Forties and fifties, common time for divorce, common time for big transition, common time that women have hit, um, they're kind of, you know, riding the wave of their career if they if they are in, you know, career life and, and oh, by the way, they now they have to go through reverse puberty. It's like what? Mm-hmm. Like who designed this? You know, and not all women experience
0: <laughs> terrible. Who did menopause. design this? Who freaking did design have, this.
1: I'm having a conversation with that person. You better believe me. I think <laughs> a lot of women are like ready to talk to that person or whoever yeah. her group decided that. Yeah. And and I know women there are obviously women that have great menopauses. like, they're like, I have really no issue. with not a big problem. And I'm like, that's fantastic. We're not talking to you. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like, I mean, in this- We, we love podcast, you, but this is not right, for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. you're still in the group. You're just, yeah. you know- like, You can sit with
0: us, but we're just right. talking about a different thing. Right, topic. but to tell
1: us what you did. Like, bottle it up and sell it. You'll be rich. It's the women who are just really struggling because they're missing out on the key glands that are supposed to be making key hormones consistently and instead they're not. So the other glands are like- I don't have the bandwidth either. Like, Mm -hmm. are you serious? Okay. And that's why women in menopause start to notice it's a big change for thyroid. It's a big change for cortisol. It's a big change for glucose and insulin. And they gain weight. And they, you know, experience all these symptoms that they didn't used to experience before. They'll say things like, I have the same diet and same exercise plan. What is the problem? Like, everything's the problem. Like, unfortunately, it's a complete endocrine Chaotic movements it's and mayhem. Something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I advocate to women who are listening, and well, anyone who's listening. I'm like, you need to start on the self care now. You need to start there. Sooner the better.
0: What does that mean? What do you mean by when self-care?
1: I prepare for menopause? Like start in your yeah.
0: 30s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm like because yes. it's my girlfriend, am 43. Man.
1: You know, so I'm 43, and my um two of my best friends are 43. One of my my other best friends 44. So we're like right there, and um you know, we all sometimes we'll text each other. Like, was it hot last night? Did anyone else have reflections? Right. <laughs> you know, like, what is this about? <laughs> yeah. So self-care just really means, right. Cause women generally are givers and they, um, we can multitask. Generally we are known to be can multitask. We are givers. We are caretakers. We are the organizers, not always, but often. And as a result, we can do a lot, we make the babies like we can do a lot, and we can handle a lot, we can take on a lot. Our bodies are generally built to be resilient, That's why we can get sick and and still manage our life and our house and our job, and then our maybe male partners get sick, and it's detrimental right or they the man called where they get a man called right <laughs> and so it's, and it and it is literally biological, we have different immune systems than men do, right, which is why we are more prone to autoimmune as women. But so what I tell women is I need you to put your, I need you to rank yourself higher. I need you to start saying no, use your no button. I need you to set your boundaries. I need you to not feel guilty when you need to take time for yourself. I need you to take time for yourself. I need you to do the things that make you happy and fulfill you and, uh, you know, and, and do it regularly because if you don't ever get any, Rest. If you don't ever get any, you know, downtime. If you're always pushing, then you're always going to be in that fight or flight, and that's depleting and that's exhausting. Yes, we can do it for a long time. We've all done it for a long time. It's why we could stay up 24 hours in college or university and still, you know, attend all our lectures and then do it again. And you know, because we were way more resilient when we we're younger. And then, like now, the thought of me going to bed past 10:30 is Awful. I'm like, oh, Whoa.
0: it's yeah. No, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, wow. I used to really be able to punch out. I yeah. think all nighters. I would wake up the next morning at five and go and teach a fitness class before yeah. class. My classes started. Yeah, there's no way yeah. I can do that now. And
1: so, and so, I'm telling women, you know, like you, I, I'm sorry. Like, literally, your body, your body is telling you to, you need to slow down, stop and slow down, or rest, not stop, just just rest and do it or regularly. just foot
0: off the gas, yeah. right? It's just like, yeah. and I talk about this in the context of the nervous system. I'm so happy you're saying this because I think that we become, over time, we forget how to yeah. slow down. We forget mm-hmm. how productive resting actually is. Like mm-hmm. you think about this in the context of weightlifting, you know, all your gains happen when you rest all of them. You are ripping the muscle apart when you're training. That's not where your gains happen. The gains happen when you repair, mm-hmm. when you slow down, when you sleep, when you, you know, you take a couple of days off, like you don't do legs every single day. There's a reason why right. you don't do that because you need to be able to recover. So I love what you're saying. And I think that it's such an important message that we have to hear multiple times. And this, you know, I can, you know, get on my soapbox and like philosophical <laughs> about culture and how we're always told to like, yeah. Smile on the face and heels on and careers on and the kids are perfectly attended to and there's a home cooked meal on the stove and like we are we are at we ask of ourselves in society and I think we internalize these messages so much we are we ask too much of ourselves that that push beyond the finite capacity of our matter and I think when you don't when you when you are always pedal to the metal when your foot is always down on the gas you forget what it's like to say, okay, I'm just not going to have 400 things on my to-do list today. And I'm going to go walk and I'm going to go for a walk, maybe listen to a podcast or call a friend or you know, whatever it is. So thank
1: you. And not feel guilty, right? That's the other thing and not feel guilty. I was reading a um, social media influencer who was very honest in all of her approaches to life. And she said, I actually texted my sister and said, give me permission to sit on the couch on Sunday and watch Netflix all day. And her sister was like, these are the 16,000 things you have just done, like in the last two weeks, like you don't have a choice. You have to lay, you know, on the couch and watch Netflix and it's okay. It gets a hundred percent. Okay. And I think when you are maybe type a or a doer, or you're used to doing all the time, your to-do list never gets to done. Then you feel guilty and it feels hard to say, I don't have time to sit on the couch and read. I don't have time to put my feet up for a couple of minutes. I don't have time to enjoy this coffee outside or this tea or to go for this walk or to, you know, do a little meditation because have you seen my to-do list? And I'm like, but it's the to-do list. That's, that's the problem. It's, it's the to-do list. I know we all have them. I'm, I'm not debating that at all. And they just,
0: never go away by the ever, way. Like you never get through it. Like that's the other thing. As soon as yeah. you finish one thing, another thing pops up. Yeah. So, I love that you're saying this because it's, you know, and I would say to that influencer, whoever uh, she is, like the the ultimate goal there would be for her to be able to give herself the permission mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to recognize the 10,000 things that she did. And then with grace and love mm-hmm. direct it towards herself, say, you know what, girl, it's time to reward yourself by yeah. whatever, watching whatever on Netflix or whatever yeah. she wanted to do. And I think that that's something that I, I personally struggle with as well. Like I'm yeah. here saying like, you have to give yourself the permission. And I still, yeah. I I struggle. It's like, it's, it's so easy for yes. me to dole out the advice, right? But it's, it's hard for me too, because I'm like, yeah. oh, I got to grow the podcast. I got to do this. I'm writing the book. I got to get this done. And, and it's like, no, you will be so much more useful to yourself, to right. your career, to your business, to your family, to your children when you are well rested, and yes. for me, the big thing is like you know, it's usually around four o'clock every day, and I notice myself I have like five hundred tabs open on my computer, and I'm just switching aimlessly between them. I'm like, <laughs> time for yoga. Now it's time for me to get up, step away from the yes. computer, yes, get some movement in, and then I can kind of ease into the ease into the evening with with the kids and whatnot. So thank yeah. you so much for saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're all we're. I'm just as guilty. Trust me, I'm just. I mean, I definitely have. You know at moments, screw it moments. Like that's it. I'm not doing anything. I'm stopping. Yeah. And then other days, I'm like, no, I have to stay up till ten and get this project done. And my husband is like, what are you doing? Like you're doing nobody any
0: favors. God, don't listen right. to me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like go to my Instagram. I, I know. To rest <laughs> all the time. Okay, I know. <laughs> Yes. I appreciate that. I think that this, you know, I, I had wanted to talk about cortisol and the mitochondria. I want to talk about cholesterol, (laughs) but I, I feel like this has been so dense for Mm -hmm. people. Um, so I think we're, I would love to wrap this up here. And then if you are open to it, I'd love to bring you on for round two. Absolutely. We can can do a deep dive into cortisol, HPA axis, all the things we can talk about. Uh, I've had Ari uh, Witten on the, uh, Mm podcast and we talked about air quotes, adrenal fatigue. So I'd love yeah. to talk about all of those, all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Um, but if people wanted to, I mean, this has been so useful and your Instagram is so amazing. Can you tell people where they can find you uh, if they want to learn more about uh, the Dutch test, like tell everybody all, all the things.
1: All the things. Uh, Instagram is where I hang out. It's at Jones, And then on, for the Dutch test, it's www.dutchtest.com. Dot com and all the videos, all the podcasts like this one are up for free. You don't have to be a Dutch signed up person. You can just click through and learn as much as you want and listen to the podcasts and learn about hormones. And then of course, learn about Dutch.
0: And then, so you can also, uh, obviously practitioners can order the Dutch, but also people can order the Dutch from your website directly. Is that correct? People can
1: order directly from the website. We don't recommend it because it is uh, six pages of really dense information, as you know. And so we'd much prefer people have a practitioner to know which test to order and then how to interpret it. So the people who do order it on their own, I'd say the large, large, large percentage come back and go wow, that was a lot. Can you pr- refer me to a practitioner who can read this test? <laughs> like, yes. Sure. So yes. we do that as well. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, this has just been such a pleasure, such a treat. The internet worked today.
1: Yes, um, thankfully. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> I'm so happy. We'll have you back for a round two and we'll do, we'll do uh, another geeky magic carpet ride and some other cool stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm excited.
0: Thank you hope you can see now why I love and respect this doctor and woman and practitioner so much and hope that you really got a lot out of this in terms of your own understanding around estrogens and testosterone and diets and supplements and all the things, all of the good things related to our menstrual cycle. Now, I would love to invite you to our Facebook group. And listen, Betty, if you have gotten this far in the podcast and you're still listening to me at this point, you are my special Betty. You are someone who is really dedicated to knowledge. You are a truth seeker and I want you in our community. So the better community on Facebook is free. It's better community, better with an exclamation point. Cause you know, we gotta be extra with our exclamation points. (laughs) So better community. And this is where we are taking questions for our AMAs. This is where we have members, our Betty army, we amalgamate them. And, you know, we actually get a lot of subject matter in terms of talking on our AMAs from the women and men um, and just generally great humans that are in our Facebook community. So better community is the Facebook group. And I am really looking forward to seeing you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only. And the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary health care provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship form, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.